Asia Pacific currents. News and labor issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents for another Saturday. It is the 30th of April, the last day of April, which means tomorrow is May Day. I'm Giselle Hanna. I'm James Barry. Make sure all of you get to May Day. I'll play an announcement about that shortly,、um, so that you get all of those details. But of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up on those social media platforms. In the second part of the show today. We'll be speaking with Lionel Bobbagi, who is one of the coordinators in Australia Asia Worker Links. He's also one of our executive members.、Um, but Lionel、uh, is a, a Sri Lankan and an activist, and、uh, we're going to talk to him about the current political and economic crisis in that country. But first up, James, news from around the region. So, beginning in Korea, where two unionists have faced arrest without indictment. In a sign that South Korea's new right-wing president Yoon Suk-yeol will stand by his promise to reverse labour rights gained under the previous administration, two leaders of the Korean Public Service and Transport Workers Union (Cargo Truckers Solidarity Division, or the KPTU Trucksol) have been threatened with arrest without being formally indicted. Authorities had been preparing to arrest the KPTU Trucksol president Bong Joo Lee and Incheon Regional Branch Chair. Gyeon Yong Kim over a 2021 protest against SPCGSP, a multi-billion-dollar food consortium, using a new but untested law that permits police to arrest individuals under investigation without formal indictment or charge. An intervention by the International Transport Workers Federation, working alongside South Korean affiliates, have managed to get the arrest warrants rescinded on the promise that the two men will cooperate co- cooperate with police. The incident signifies the agenda of the new president, elected in March, who has openly said he wants to attack labour rights to make life easier for business in the country. Moving now to New Zealand, where the Public Services Association Union of New Zealand, the PSA, announced on Wednesday that allied health workers had voted overwhelmingly to strike between May 9 and May 20. The strike will involve reduced work rule and hours during this period, and a 24-hour strike on the 16th of May. The workers have been waiting for more than 18 months for the district health boards to make a reasonable offer about fair pay and safe rostering standards. The last time the PSA attempted to strike in March, the DHB applied to have the strike declared illegal. New Zealand's allied health workers are among the lowest paid in their industry and suffer staffing shortages as many workers are lured to Australia, where the pay is better. To Palestine now, where three Palestinians have been killed in raids in the wake of the Al-Aqsa protests. In the past week, three Palestinian men have been killed in raids by the Israeli military in the occupied West Bank. On Monday, Ahmed Ibrahim Oaidat, a 20-year-old, was killed in Jer- Jericho after being shot in the head during a raid. Fatah had organised a strike the following day to protest Ahmed's killing. 
His death followed two others killed in similar circumstances over the weekend in Jenin. Lutfi al-Labadi, at 21, and Hanan Khudur, at eight, aged 18. Tensions are at a high point as the coinciding of three major religious festivals, Ramadan, Easter and Pesach, has created more opportunities for confrontation between Israelis and Palestinians, especially in Jerusalem and towns adjacent to illegal settlements. Last week, an attempt by a far-right Jewish group to hold prayers in the Al-Aqsa compound in Jerusalem led to a violent clash between Palestinians and Israeli police, causing many to fear a repeat of the violence that happened this time last year. The Al-Aqsa compound is believed to be the site of the historic Jewish temple, and Palestinians fear that any change in status to the site will lead to them losing it altogether. And it's important to remember that the Al-Aqsa compound and the right for Jewish people to pray there, or uh, activities on the sites, have been the the cause of many of the outbreaks of violence from 1929 onwards uh, in this part of the world. And in Malaysia, the Malaysian employers... Federation, that is the Bosses Federation, has proposed a 10 to 12% pay cut for workers who work from home, saying that since most companies provide a transport allowance, employees working from home should have their wages reduced. Datuk Mohammad Shafi BP Mamal, the president of the Uni Global Union affiliate in Malaysia, the Malaysian Liaison Council, launched an attack on this move, stating that after two years of sacrifices because of the pandemic, including the slashing of wages and job losses, it was ridiculous for employers to be asking for further cuts. Collective bargaining is now increasingly including work-from-home provisions, and unions are keen to remind employers that the pandemic is far from over. To Myanmar now, where the military court has sentenced Aung San Suu Kyi. Former Myanmar President Aung San Suu Kyi has been sentenced to five years prison by a court controlled by the military junta, bringing her total prison sentence to 11 years. Aung San Suu Kyi enjoyed a positive image globally as a fighter for democracy, but was later condemned for her support for the genocide against the Rohingyas during her tenure as president. She was ousted as leader by, the milita- by a military coup in February 2021, shortly after winning an election against the military politicians. The charges against Aung San Suu Kyi are clearly fabricated and are obviously designed to keep her from running for government in future, as she is the most popular politician in the country. Aung San Suu Kyi is likely to receive a longer sentence as she faces 10 more charges of corruption. Yeah, and I mean, Aung San Suu Kyi is no, no friend of the workers' movement and certainly not a friend of Australia Asia worker links but uh, these are clearly fabricated charges and it says a lot about the deterioration of the situation in Myanmar and certainly she should not be locked up for for these uh, fabricated trumped up charges. And moving to the Solomons, which was our feature story a couple of weeks ago. We spoke with Nick McClellan, um, but the, an advisor to the Premier of Malai Thai Province in the Solomon Islands has expressed concern that the Prime Minister, Manasseh Sogavare, will use the new security deal with China to suppress his rivals and will call upon Chinese military support when challenged. Sogavare of um, Guadalcanal Island was a key figure in the Solomon Civil War, which was fought between factions from Guadalcanal and Malaitai during the late 90s and early 2000s. The recent security deal followed violence in the Pacific Nation in late 2021, 
where pro-Taiwan protesters, mostly from Malaitai, rioted against the Guadalcanal-dominated government's decision to recognise Beijing in 2019. While the new security arrangement between Honiara and Beijing is interpreted in Australia as a geostrategic pivot away from the US alliance for the Pacific nation, locals in the Solomons are more concerned about their future rights under the current agreement. That is no doubt a continuing unfolding situation, James. Do you have thoughts? Um, uh, I think that it's we're going to be seeing it in other places too in the Pacific, in Papua New Guinea and Fiji in, in the coming years as well. Well, a continuing uh, look at the realignment of global politics, which um, is uh, playing itself out. And Songavari himself has said that he is uh, picking what he thinks is going to be the winner in the overall arm wrestle between China and the US. So he said he wanted to be on the right side of history and that's what his implication was. Right. There you go. Uh, Listeners, we're going to go to some community announcements and we'll um, return with our feature interview for the morning. I am going to play that announcement about May Day because I will uh, hopefully be seeing all of you on the streets outside of Trades Hall. For those listeners um, who are in Melbourne, I'll be seeing you on Sunday, the 1st of May. Join us on May 1st, the International Day of the Working Classes. We're mobilising for workers' rights, decent living conditions, environmental protection, the rights of Indigenous peoples and in opposition to imperialist war and aggression. There'll be speakers, stalls, food and community singing from midday on Sunday, May 1st at Trades Hall on the corner of Ligon and Victoria Street, Carlton. Then march around the city, assembling from 1.30pm. And leading up to the day, don't forget April 28th from 5pm, the annual eight-hour memorial event opposite Trades Hall. Followed by a 6pm solidarity event, good food, entertainment and speakers. Help us hold the worst federal government in living memory to account. For more information, visit maydayvictoria.com. The Melbourne Mayday Committee is a 3CR supporter. This is Nick from Pinyao. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents with James and Giselle. We're going into our feature story for the morning and earlier today we spoke with Lionel Bopagi who is a Sri Lankan and is one of the organisers in Australia Asia WorkerLinks. Of course, many of you will have been seeing the escalating um, political situation in Sri Lanka and that is what we spoke to Lionel about. Lionel, Sri Lanka has been in um, quite a serious economic crisis, which is leading to a political crisis. Inflation's at an all-time high. Um, Oil prices are through the roof, as is the cost of living. How did Sri Lanka get into this financial position? Well, uh, I think uh, uh, we can go back to uh, the independent days, starting from 1948. Uh, although people say that Sri Lanka was in a better economic position because uh, it was more or less run as a welfare state. Um, the 
at that time, the economic situation was very good because of the Korean War and uh, export prices at the world market for tea, rubber, and so on were very good. But as soon as that came to an end in 1953, you could see the Korean uh, after the Korean War, there was the general strike in 1953 because the state uh, was trying to um, uh, cut down all the welfare provisions that were provided up to then. And there was this huge strike, uh, and then, um, you know, uh, the cabinet had to meet in a ship. Uh, and then uh, due to some factors, you know, the the the, the agitation, the protest, uh, move on to a stage where uh, they could uh, get rid of the government. But whatever it is, you know, so it started from those days. Uh, there are two two aspects to this. One is that from those days, Sri Lanka has consistently imported uh, more than exports in the sense, you know, sort of it was the ruling elite for their interests and privileges. Uh, they have been uh, importing uh, luxurious goods and so on, you know, sort of, and uh, uh, while providing uh, welfare benefits to the lower, uh, uh, lower social levels. Now, this created the worsening trade difficulty. And the government spending uh, usually exceeded government revenue, which also created a budget deficit. So these two deficits, you know, created the economic crisis and gradually it worsened. But until the, the economy was opened in 1978, this was not a huge crisis. Except, I would say, just before um, the, the 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 economy was opened up, um, the economy was totally closed by the previous uh, coalition government of the Sri Lanka Freedom Party, the Communist Party, and the LSSP, and um, this created uh, 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 a backlash from the people, which was reflected in 1978 elections. Uh, with the J.R. Javadana government uh, being elected with the five-sixth majority. And um, as uh, probably you would know, J.R. Javadana, who became the executive president later, he was, um, uh, the uh, I think, uh, in the world, he was one of the first leaders to implement neoliberal economic policies. Since then, the government uh, debt has increased. I started in the 1970s, and uh, during the Rajapaksa regime, you know, it started in 2005, um, the debt crisis worsened, and um, the debt was rising at, uh, uh, at, an, at an intensified scale, I would say, and it has now. And... Um, as a, I mean, because of the debt situation, they have, we have to service those debts and we have to make repayments and so on. And uh, ultimately, the government is not in a position to pay back those debts, even even to service debt. Um, now, Sri Lanka's uh, current debt-to-GDP ratio um, has gone up to about, uh, say, 104% by 2021. So this crisis, you know, because the government wouldn't be able to pay debt back, um, the government has to uh, 
cut down imports gradually and that created this huge crisis and um, as you know people are protesting on the streets asking for food uh, gas fuel and uh, electricity and so on so the crisis was generated by that and uh, that economic crisis has now converted into a political crisis um but we have to understand that this this protest movement didn't come spontaneously as people say although there is a spontaneous aspect to it before that there were protests uh, all over the island uh, say for example uh, against privatizing education um, probably you might remember Uh, the uh, privatization or privatizing education through the Kotulawala uh, Defense Academy University and there was a huge student strike and then there were farmers protests all over uh, the island and then there was a teacher strike which spread uh, again throughout the island which was a very successful strike led by a left uh, oriented uh, teachers union and um, these uh, protests warmed up i would say <laughs> the situation in sri lanka and um, but the the no one saw the current protest movement coming uh, i think most of the political parties of the left uh, could not mobilize people in this way uh, they didn't see the way to mobilize people because um, the regimes throughout the last 50 or years have uh, used racism um, and uh, extremist religion religious ideologies to fragment to to divide people and rule so well, Lionel, um actually I wouldn't mind asking a direct question about that so in the past 20 years sri lanka has been ruled by a an aristocracy and some people call it an aristocracy of the rajapaksa family um and they have appealed to populist uh policies to try and win support uh and one of the direct causes that's being blamed for this current crisis was them cutting taxes which even their own finance minister said was uh, economic suicide for Sri Lanka um and they have used Sinhala Buddhist uh nationalism as a way of trying to counteract the economic problems and appealing to that uh my question is with the Rajapaksa family do you think that they can ride this out or is the system more or less set with the same people anyway that it doesn't really matter whether they come or go um well um the situation is very fluid so we don't know what would happen because this spontaneous protest movement um it does not have an exit strategy as such um uh, as well as the ruling regime you know they don't have an exit uh, strategy uh, for this crisis and um, neither the opposition political parties even the left uh, they don't have an exit strategy so it is leading it could lead to an anarchic sort of a situation which could be used by the rajapaksa uh, auto, auto, autocratic rule to uh, continue to rule on and that is the greatest uh, problem we have at the moment now um rajapaksa regime as um, as as the, uh, the question that was posed they hugely used nationalism to come to power in 2005 when during the first election it was based on singhala nationalism 
but at the same time they used um, they bribed the LTTE they gave money to the LTTE to boycott the elections so the tamil voters didn't vote against rajapaksa and that gave rajapaksa the first time um, 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 uh, election victory uh, to rajapaksa to come to power and then in, in 2010 you know sort of uh, again they used uh, the the singhala buddhist nationalism because uh, they were able to militarily uh, defeat uh, the the tamil militancy in the north and east that was seen in the south as a, a victory for the country victory for uh, the singhala buddhists and so on and they uh, hugely supported uh, mahinda rajapaksa and considered him a king of sri lanka and uh, again you know sort of this 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 situation prevailed uh, until 2015 when the ranil vikram singh regime was elected to power uh by the by the work of the civil society organizations uh, that was done until then uh that was misused um, in 2015 because there was no political current that was able to make use of the situation created by the agitations of the civil society movement and maitri pala sivitena was um, i mean made use of that situation and came to power and then they Uh, continued the same policies except for granting a little bit of liberal democratic values or freedoms you know appointing some of the institutions that are asked by the united nations human rights council to address the issues of the uh, tamil speaking people and so on but then they were also uh, following the same part of neoliberalism and uh, also the the uh, the government was uh, uh, they 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 were corrupt and uh, they were they 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 made escape routes for the rajapaksa families you know sort of without filing proper charges and they continue i mean from to uh, from probably 1980s they are continuing a huge military force and the military expenditure from the budget it is increasing still and even today there is a huge military machine and um, north and east is um, almost under military rule so this situation has created a um, huge military expenditure which is not necessary at the moment and um, if we look at the employment provided by the successive regimes you know after uh, uh, coming to power you know during the election times they will pledge that they will uh, you know employ so many people and so on after coming to power they will just talking people to government corporations and so on and government corporations have become white elephants so that they are no more no more efficient they they are not, are not serving the public they have become huge bureaucratic organizations consuming large amounts of public money well let me let me yeah. ask you then particularly in relation to this issue of an exit strategy or ha- how will the situation resolve itself if the left doesn't have a clear united position or strategy or a set of demands if the rajapaksa regime has no way out of this um political crisis that has been sparked by the economic situation and as what you've described this protest movement is largely 
anarchic, organic um, and spontaneous. Where to from here? I mean, you talked about the... Um, the the arms, the military arms available to the government, and we have seen some violence, some open shooting at protesters with casualties. I mean, is that is that what's going to happen? Will it just become a civil war? I mean, it depends on the balance of forces. You know, sort of say, for example, um, when these protest movements started spontaneously, it was more or less the urban middle classes uh, that started the protest. And then it gradually spread into lower middle classes where, you know, sort of uh, um, now it has spread to uh, workers. You know, there was a general strike yesterday and uh, we have been, or rather people in Sri Lanka have been negotiating uh, all these processes, you know, with the trade union support for the protest movement. And again, there will be a general strike on the 6th of May and um, uh, the plantation workers, uh, we identify them as Malaya workers, they have taken part in the uh, general strike and they have come out in the protest. So gradually it is spreading, but still in rural areas, I think the protest movement is not strong. Um, it is island-wide. Even in the northern east, there have been smaller scale protests. But on the part of the Tamil-speaking people in the northern east, um, the participation is less. Uh, I mean, we can understand their situation because after a horrible war of 30 years and um, still under almost the military rule uh, in the North and East, people are afraid due to two factors. One is that uh, they wouldn't know what would happen if this protest movement fails. So they will be the first target. The second thing is, even if the protest movement wins, they don't know whether their demands would be just forgotten as they have uh, done before. So this distrust. So I think, uh, well, people in Sri Lanka are trying to uh, build some bridges in the sense, you know, uh, this, this issue has to be worked out in both ways. One is uh, the, the Tamil people, Tamil-speaking people in the North and East, they need to uh, uh, sort of uh, understand the protest movement is not only working, demanding rights of the singular Buddhist people, but also the in, in general of the whole society of Sri Lanka. So at least they need to express or extend their support to what is happening. On the part of the singular people down south, although the protest is not solely singular Buddhist, there are Muslims heavily involved, there are some Tamil crowds involved, but on the part of the protest movement, they have to extend an arm or hand to the people in the north and east and say, uh, we are for equality, we are for um, uh, inclusiveness, and uh, you know we will uh, recognize your rights uh, as uh, citizens of Sri Lanka and uh, you know at least you know um, extend their hand of friendship and understanding and mm. that way we, we, they would be able to bring together so the protest movement will succeed if we could extend this struggle island wide and go on you know sort of and uh, um, exert more and more pressure on the regime on the other hand if we cannot do that i think it will end up um, in uh, in uh, almost a bloodshed, uh, we we are we are strongly thinking that as soon as the government gets uh, funding from India and China as expected, that 
might create an environment for the government to uh, 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 start the repressive movement using the armed forces. Lionel, we are out of time on the program today, but thank you so much for joining us um, to share your insights about uh, the situation in Sri Lanka. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. That was Lionel Bopagi um, speaking about the current situation in Sri Lanka. I'm going to go do some uh, community announcements. Hey, you mob. It's the simple, everyday things we can all do that will help protect our families and community from coronavirus, like wearing a mask when required, catching up outside if we can, keeping indoor spaces well ventilated with windows and doors open as much as possible, and getting tested if we feel unwell. Let's keep being COVID safe every day. To find out more, go to coronavirus.vic.gov.au. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. That brings us to the end of another episode of Asia Pacific Currents. Thank you for listening. Coming up next is Palestine Remembered. Uh, Please, we'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow at May Day. Uh, But for now, I'm James Barry. And I'm Giselle Hanna.